And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! Jeez! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Does it tame and tame and tame again? Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! The stolen moment of watching some fleeting football action through someone's window. The five specific scenarios in which you're permitted to chance sign him up. Elite players briefly breaking the fourth wall at a throw-in. Clunky footballing verbs. Players being photoshopped almost too well into the shirt of a team allegedly trying to sign them. The perilous pitch perimeters of Sunday League. Substitutes creeping onto the field of play. And the underreported erasure of first-half injury time. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés and your Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 235 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Very well, how are you? Really good again, yes. Uh, and alongside you for this very special monthly Mesut Harland Dicks is David Walker. How are things? Things are very good. I just want to bring something to your attention actually. Uh, at the start of the show, given the the fact that we're doing the listeners MHD. Now, I was sitting in the athletic office yesterday and one of our producers, Jesse, who listens to the show, he turned to me and said, why is it called Mesut Harland Dicks? And then a few other people in the vicinity were like, yeah, I've always wondered that too. And I was like, what do you mean? Surely, surely you get that it's a pun on Desert Island Discs. But apparently not. So maybe we need to make that clear to, to the listeners out there. I don't know. It does feel like periodically people do ask. They feel like new listeners, Charlie, don't they? Sort of people who haven't been around for a while, which I kind of I kind of sympathise why they might not get it. I'm not proud of the pun, I have to say. I also think um, I've heard it from American listeners for whom oh. Desert Island Discs isn't such an institution, which makes more sense. Yeah. Some of them saying things like, I'm sure I'm missing something but yeah what what is this thing well i suppose that that scenario puts us in a bit of a pickle because we're not going to change it no no because there's no need i'm as i've already stated dave i'm not proud of the punning it was just something we came up with we didn't we didn't think the format would even last particularly long it did and and but hopefully we are into the early the outskirts of the realms of it just being its own thing, Dave, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Good. Now that we've had actual Desert Island Disc guests on as well, that that show, you know, they're they're becoming as, as big as one another. Yeah. I, I can understand it's just about far enough away. I can see why if you didn't get it straight away, you might then you might then not. The main thing for me, Dave, is that no one's um, suggested better players for the three elements of the name. Mm. 
then it's it, about as good as it could be. Julian Dix is a, you know about as dated a reference as I'd want to get. And I, I think I think it's the Harland that's the problem. If it was if it was Highland Dix, <laughs> I think people would would it would be more obvious. Like, right. it, do you know what I mean? Highland Dix. But, but that's two on the nose. You can't literally mm. have Ireland. Yeah. Stephen but Ireland. Spelled you can't, differently no, you can't from... have the same word. <laughs> no. Spelled differently. Same... Highland's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We've talked about this too much. It almost sounds like we've, we've, we've been forced to clarify it by the powers that be. Forced into an explanation against our will. But, um, but yeah, for any remaining listeners who don't get it, there you are. Before we get on to um, this month's listeners, Mez at Harland Dicks, uh, I have some urgent adjudication panel issues for you. Um, First one, really enjoyed this. Charlie, this came from Beth Potter. He said, I went on a first date tonight. And after asking me if I'm into astrology, the guy said, I'm a Pisces for my sins. (laughs) I'm not into astrology, so no idea if this is very sinny. What would be the football league equivalent of a Pisces? My instinct is Portsmouth. Fish, water sign and sufficiently for my sins. It's probably a good shout. Sort of literal and kind of philosophical match as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting though as to what because I always thought there weren't like objectively good or bad star signs to be. They all seem to have good points and bad points, but and all are roughly the same. Well, some are untrustworthy generally, though, aren't they? Some are oh, du- really? duplicitous, aren't Gemini's duplicitous? Scorpio, sting in the tail. Scorpio yeah. sounds evil. <laughs> but I'm not sure she is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. Is that right? Just what people who are into it. That's what I mean. I think they are. They do take it a little bit too literally. Yeah. But there you go. My little understanding of how it all works. I don't think Pisces is the most for my sinsy. There's well, nothing inherently acor- bad about being a fish. According to Vogue, the Vogue, Vogue has ranked the most honest zodiac signs, okay. ranked from best to worst. And to be fair, Pisces is bottom. So they're like Portsmouth, two thousand. Yeah, they're Milan Mandarich is Portsmouth. Yeah. <laughs> So you know you've been sold a dream, but actually four managers in a single season. Alexandra Gedamak. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Alan Peran. Surely the most for my sinsy ones are ones that like aren't animal. At least if you're an animal, you can. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Isn't like one of them's a fucking pair of scales. <laughs> Which one's that? <laughs> Libra, an air sign represented by the scales. Yeah. Interestingly, the only inanimate object of the zodiac. I, I mean, I would... Libras? Do you? No. I'm not even sure. Oh, Lib- Oh, my my second son is a Libra. <laughs> September 22nd and October 23rd. But that that isn't a hugely popular time for birthdays, I don't think. Um I would also say if you're going to bring for my sins into it, I would ju- I thought it was going to be I'm into astrology for my sins. Yeah. The whole thing. Oh, no question. No. Yeah, that feels the most for my sins thing rather than an individual star sign. Yeah, it's dubious. It's definitely a dubious thing um as far as I'm concerned. Um but yeah, I hope it went well. And if it didn't, it, it was it was destined. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the moment you've all been waiting for, not my words, the words of Brentford Penguins Football Club, um, who are selling tickets for a charity fundraising night. And it's, it's a comedy night, a stand-up comedy night. Dave, uh, Sally Phillips, Milton Jones, Ronnie Ancona, Sarah Kendall, Alistair McGowan, and uh, in his stand-up debut, Graham Lasso. What? <laughs> Wow. Can we go to this? I don't see why not. Wait, where, when is it? Where is it? This is uh, Wednesday, March the 15th in the Legends Lounge at Brentford's GTEC Stadium. Doors open at 6pm, showtime at 7pm. Tickets are 25. All proceeds going to the Brentford Penguins Football Club for children with Down syndrome. Graham Lasso, I, I, I don't know why I can't picture him as a stand-up comedian, Charlie, but I cannot. What are the jokes going to be? 
that playing left back. Or maybe he'll be unleashed and he won't have to just you know tell the stories we've heard many times before. I mean, he's a very he seems like a very pleasant and interesting bloke. Whether he's a stand-up, I guess you've got to start somewhere. Is he definitely doing stand-up? He's not a sort of compare or something. No, it says in his stand-up debut. That's what it says on the promo. Wow. I mean, even if he was to compare, you still need to chuck in a bit of material. Yeah, true, yeah. Keep it ticking over. Compare's quite an important role. Yeah, it's not going to be... It can't just be sort of after-dinner circuit football spiel. That's not going to cut it, is it? Um, I mean, I don't know, jokes about being from Jersey, Dave? That could work. People don't know about that. That could be good, good material. It just doesn't. Uh, good luck to him. Maybe maybe this is the start of a an amazing new career for him. But he doesn't strike me for all of his sort of well spokenness. He doesn't strike me as like a famous raconteur. You know, like I don't know. If, does he do after dinners? Like uh, uh, he's not the sort of bloke you'd imagine will have a string of, of stories to tell that would get the the masses falling off their chairs. But he did do. He did quickly Kevin once and was good, as I remember. Okay. I don't. I don't remember thinking. This guy's wasted. He should be doing stand-up, but well, it, it was certainly a very pleasant hour. If he needs to promote the gig, Mesa yeah, Harlan Dixon, yeah. Brandon so he's been on the he's been on the our radar, I have to say. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, and what a lineup, just generally. I uh, get get yourself down there. The he G-Tex could treat Stadium. he could treat us as like you know when they do like the new material, yeah, nights. the work in progress. Yeah, We'd yeah. Be the whip. I really want to hear how that goes. Now, um, Charlie, big big test now for your photographic Premier League years knowledge. Mm. Um, Bolton Wanderers 2 mm-hmm. Arsenal nil, 3rd of December 2005 mean mm-hmm. anything to you? I remember I remember it yeah I was in um, Sandbanks that weekend okay <laughs> that is absurd knowledge <laughs> um, went fishing yeah okay well okay yeah so uh, Allardyce's Bolton keeping mm-hmm. Wenger's Arsenal at bay as they intermittently did in that era Dennis Bergkamp came on as a substitute that day I believe couldn't couldn't breach the Bolton defence, couldn't test Yuski Jaskalainen in the Bolton goal. Somewhere, perhaps even at the Reebok, who knows, there were two seven-year-olds watching that game. And one of them, a certain Mitchell Bergkamp, must have been sitting there going, one day I'm going to avenge this. And so it turned out, this came from Johnny Green. This is Woking versus Bromley in the National League on Tuesday night. Casey is there to prod it back to Jaskalainen. It's a wayward clearance straight to Kendall. It was a poor first touch, but Kendall eventually finds Bergkamp. And it's trickled into the back of the net. There you go. Mitchell Bergkamp poking the ball past Will Jaskalainen of Woking. Is Will Jaskalainen UC's son? How many Jaskalainens do you reckon there are in the Woking area, Dave? Who knows? It might be an enclave. <laughs> enclave. Interesting. <laughs> now, if that was me... That was me. That's fine. But um, good to see the Bergkamp, Jeskalainen and rivalry still going. Now, finally for the adjudication panel, um, Joe Gallagher got in touch with us on Twitter. Playing around with internet fascination chat GPT, it dawned on him that it's advanced to such an extent now, Dave, that it could he could ask it to be Richard Keyes as if he was doing his MHD. And what a selection they were. Here, uh, here, Dave, are the obscure things that Richard Keyes loves about football, according to an AI algorithm. Number one, the smell of freshly cut grass on the pitch. Mm. Does that sound Keyesy? Uh, maybe. It really, it's quite traditional. Yeah. I remember British. it. Highfield Road. Number two, Charlie, the sound of the ball hitting the crossbar. Has has ChatGPT been listening to football cliches? Mm. This is incredible. I know, it is amazing. It, re- it is really freaky, th- these things. Yeah. Um, I can sort of imagine. It could be. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, it's within the realms of possibility, for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, he he would claim that Sky pioneered the art of putting yeah, yeah, yeah. microphones <laughs> next to the woodwork. <laughs> if it wasn't for us, no. I mean, didn't Shreves pick that one basically? I think he might have done. Uh, there you go. It's pretty much there, uh, isn't it? Yeah. I see where the logic's gone yeah. there. <laughs> Chat GPT number three: the feeling of a cold, wet ball against his skin on a rainy day. Very intimate, Dave. Yeah, perhaps a little bit too intimate for my liking. They're all a bit samey, those loves, aren't they? <laughs> the only thing with that as well is Keezy has made the point of saying, like, you know, it's terrible weather here, terrible weather in the Premier League, but it's warm and sunny here in Doha. Mm. So I think now he might have moved past sort of bad weather. You know, it might be more the sort of sun beating on my neck as I have a barbecue round at Andy's. <laughs> Let's race through his actually quite creepy, um, obscure things Richard Keyes hates about football. Number one, Charlie, the taste of synthetic turf on his tongue. <laughs> These are all sort of body related I, I, and turf related. <laughs> Move it on, Richard. I would be, I can, I'd be workshopping them with him. I can imagine him, a- him hating synthetic turf. Like, what's wrong with grass, Andy? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he wouldn't be wouldn't be a 4G man. Dave, the sight of players wearing brightly coloured boots. Now we're talking. Well, there we go. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. No issue there. Uh, after Mossy Gate, I think this is a <laughs> slam dunk. And number three, Charlie, the sound of a referee's whistle blowing too close to his ears. Quite irritable mm. man, I can imagine <laughs> happening. Do you know what you can do now? As well as so this, this obviously ChatGPT is as this is all text based. There are things now which you can feed in to the to the AI. Like I think it's like forty sentences worth of speech, and then it learns the oh, voice, and and you can chuck stuff out. And it's obviously it's a little bit Alan Smith AI commentary, yeah. I think, at the moment. But I, someone did it for for someone sent me an example of it the other day, basically. So I mean, at some point, we it, you know, in lieu of Keezy ever agreeing to come on the show, mm. that's probably the only way we're ever going to get him well the legalities there i suppose it's fine isn't it a disclaimer at the beginning yeah yeah this isn't was in no way involved in the making of this program (laughs) yep yep sounds good we'll save it for the the 300s if we uh run out of ideas anyway time for mesut harland dicks with you the listeners right let's kick off february's selections uh, and indeed the listeners fascinations uh, with this from Ollie Mawinney, who I'm delighted to say, for his sins, recorded this from a cubicle in the toilet at work. Watching football through a window can be a window of a pub, someone's front room, or the shop front of Curry's. It's the purest form of consuming football. Even better if you're waiting for the bus. And of course, this also applies for Soccer Saturday, and in particular, final score through a window. Let's let's deal with the the most classic of those scenarios, Charlie, which is the men and it was predominantly men at that in that era sort of watching CFAX slash final score through the window of Curry's or mm-hmm. more more likely on the shop floor surrounded by loads of tellies. Pound for pound a glorious way of consuming football. Yep, I did that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I remember at Dixon's uh, radio peering rentals through, peering through a window. I remember being in a shopping centre and not having to even look through, but just sort of when you're wandering around, sort of milling about and you end up in the electronics bit and you're just looking at these TVs and, yeah, looking at the scores updating and thinking, wow, those TVs look amazing. This this was definitely something in a lot of our childhoods. I've got something here. That let's just let's just test Charlie. Just see if I can give him a, just something to go on and see if he could place where I was. So the only time in my life I could actually remember doing this for whatever reason, I was in a Curry's slash PC world in Watford, one of those big sort of retail parks. I think I must have been like buying a new PC or a laptop or something. I definitely wasn't buying a TV, but I remember like waiting for like the person to come over and help me. And they had football 
on all the TVs. And it was Cesc Fabregas, I think it was against Aston Villa, mm-hmm. maybe, at the Emirates. He'd had a brilliant yeah. game and he was just, and it was just at the end, he was getting all the plaudits. It was the cameras was on him. He was high fiving everyone. Can I can what, tell you when that what? was. Yeah, that would. You, you'd have been there. You'd have been there on a post Christmas trip in two thousand and nine. Fabregas came off the bench uh, at nil nil, scored a brilliant free kick, uh, and then scored another one and got injured. So it was basically like a twenty minute cameo in which he came on, scored twice, and then got subbed off because he hurt himself. I think in the process of scoring the second goal. Abu Dhabi added a third. I think it wasn't Boxing Day. I think it may have been like the 27th. That you know, checks sometimes, out. That checks yeah. out. I would have been home from uni for Christmas, probably buying a, something in the sales or something. What yeah. model of PC did he buy though, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> in 2009, I reckon you bought a Dell or something like that. Hewlett Packard. <laughs> it was a Hewlett Packard. Yes! <laughs> The most Keezy-sounding uh, computer brand of all. Yeah, no, I, 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 I like this as a, as a general concept. I mean, I, I've, I've done it myself, Dave. You know, I might have been going from A to B and sort of had to glance through a pub window to see what the score is in the big match that I didn't have a super, super vested interest in. I would have watched it, but I just wasn't able to. And um, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I feel like... There's a disproportionately high level of bad news comes from that. It's never the team I want to be winning when, as I look through the window. It's always a disappointing news that I find. I wouldn't stop. Like if I'm walking past a pub or something and I've got an interest in the score, I rarely stop. I try and sort of see it on the move. And it's annoying. The stopping you... is weird because it's, it's yeah. creepy because you're like yeah. stealing the information. And it's annoying if you can't quite see the score or, you know, you can see the screen, but you can't quite mm. make it all out. I want to be able to see the score and just be uninterrupted. Interesting this. Let's, let's, let's dwell on this for a second. Charlie, uh, I don't know if you are a committed stopper and looker through a window or if you do indeed adopt Dave's slightly thin-skinned approach to this, but um, how? <laughs> what do you think is the maximum amount of time that it's acceptable to stop by a window and look through before people start turning around going, uh, what are you doing, go away? Yeah, I don't think you've got that long. I think quite quickly it becomes mm, a bit like you're, you're sort of you're stealing from, <laughs> from us somehow. Doesn't Even... apply to Curry's and Dixon's, though. That, no, that's, that's fine. That's sort of allowed because also the things in there are quite expensive, so it's acceptable to browse. You know, you might go in there legitimately and not spend any money. And that's part of their pitch. They're, they're, they've got stuff on there for you to look at it and potentially buy. It's not completely different to a pub or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that could still be tempting you in. I, I would also, I would extend A any... pub you wouldn't go in and browse and be like, I'm actually, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to take any of these beers. That's, it's really difficult right. to go into a pub and walk straight back out again, you know, because you, you just don't fancy it. You just think it's not for you. It's, it's a difficult thing to do. I find it very hard. But, um, but it all got thrown into chaos, Charlie, when BT started putting the score at the bottom of the screen, which mm. I think is just deliberately designed to ward off pub non-goers from looking through the windows, deter them. <laughs> Interesting. Like yeah, playing maybe. classical music in, in a tube station to, to ward <laughs> off the youths. <laughs> maybe they should put it in Cyrillic. Yeah, I do I do think you don't have like I think maybe half a minute or something before people wow. are like you're yeah. what once you I think as soon as you're spotted, you're gonna feel self conscious. <laughs> yeah, you feel awful. <laughs> it's like what are you doing? You paid a fiver for that pint. Oh, just, yeah. I'm just having a quick look. But um, Yeah, exactly. I would extend the threshold, Dave, only in these circumstances, like an England World Cup semi-final, I think that's allowed. Like it, people would look look back and go, "Okay, now fair enough. They want to know what the score is, and they probably want to." Yeah, but want to unless you're Steve Madeley, surely you're just watching the game. You're not going to see many people just <laughs> milling about during a World Cup semi-final. On his bus, 
I, that, that reminds me actually. The only other, the other time I can remember doing this was one of I think one of the World Cup draws. Would it have been? <laughs> That's two, so small. Time. Two thousand and six World Cup draw. I think. I think I was out on like a work. It was a Friday, and I was out with work or something after work. And there was like for some reason there was like Sky Sports birthday. News in the window of a pub, not like in the pub, like on the window facing outwards. I mean, it was a terrible business model because we all just stood outside mm. watching it rather than going in. You can't, 30 seconds isn't going to be enough of that. You're going to need to be there for a good five minutes to at least yeah. to figure out what the whole shape of the drawer is. But, um, yeah, that, that's asking for trouble. As a potentially iconic image for this um, came back in October. Um, Arsenal were beating Liverpool at the Emirates uh, in the 4.30 Sunday game. And there was an unprecedented 7pm kickoff at Goodison between Everton and Manchester United. Everton fans amassed outside this house right next to Goodison Park and peering through this window. And I had to say the house number, Dave, had an Everton badge on it. So they, this, this house was clearly yeah. very accustomed to football fans peering through the window. At, like, I mean, they're literally the like, Saturday. it's like 15 yards from the turnstiles, isn't it? The houses are next yeah. to Goodison. They are so yeah. close. Yeah. But, um, but I, it's a lovely image. It's like it, I, I, I hesitate mm. to say Renaissance painting, but it's in that kind of hang it in the Louvre. Yes, <laughs> lovely. Just people sort of queuing up, arching their necks as it all sort of funnels towards the centre of the picture. And in the just through the window, through the curtains, you can see some players on the pitch after a game, sort of shaking hands and stuff after Arsenal beating Liverpool. And uh, Everton managers wanted to see it and bask in it. But uh, as as the owner of that property, Charlie, how would you feel on a, on yeah, a weekly I, basis? Not annoyed, presumably. That's where you've chosen to live. I think you'd have to accept it. And also, at least with something like that, presu- well, it depends. It presum- yeah, as you say, it's an Everton household, isn't it? So they're loving it. Yeah. They're loving the fact Liverpool have won. So actually, it's a sort of basking in the should, should let them in. Communal experience. Yeah, Char- well, yeah. Charge exactly. them a couple Cups of quid. Cups of tea pop. for everyone. couple of quid? Bloody hell. Well, on, on that fee, I was going to ask, because... Where, where where did you guys stand on the the Prem Plus era? Because I remember, like, obviously, you know, especially if it wasn't your team, you weren't going to be spending the money. And I remember my brother and I would regularly go down to the pub near us because they, they had Prem Plus and we'd yeah. nurse a pint or a Coke yeah. or whatever it was. Prem Plus was the uh, ultimate nursing a pint oh, fixture uh, as well. But that felt completely acceptable. Mm. Like, we didn't feel, I mean, maybe because we were teenagers or whatever, we didn't feel mm. like really really small time but that felt like oh okay you're socking one to the man whereas like standing outside looking inside a pub window feels like the scabbiest thing you can do and now it's one chai latte in a starbucks as you work from uh, work from there for five hours straight <laughs> so it all comes full circle right next up andrew howe ely a football cliches regular has this I, I love this one and uh let's hear about it hi guys so one of my football fascinations is when commentators phrase sentences what I can only describe as Yoda speak. I think it's another way to delay think of a player's name to put it at the end of the sentence. But an example I remember is in the World Cup, waiting outside is Henderson, which immediately compelled me to outburst in my worst Yoda impression. Waiting outside is Henderson. Sorry for that. Cheers. He didn't go for the commentary, but he he did give a six out of ten effort on the Yoda impression, which which I will let slide, despite not being Star Wars inclined. Um, Charlie, the theory that. Andrew Howeely supplies here is that the, the commentator is giving himself time to think of the name. It, that could be the case, but I have a theory about this, which is that it suits the the flow of the play. The ball sort of usually, if you think of how that commentary happens, it's usually the ball sort of coming out half cleared and a player running onto it or waiting for it, and it, it makes sense for the player to come at the end. And coming onto it is Henderson. Mm. Yeah, I mean, also it does put the emphasis on the player name which is kind of what you want there that's the most interesting part yeah. of it we want Henderson waiting outside <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful that genuinely yeah. does sound awful yeah 
But um, a, a very good example of something we take it for granted, partly because we hear it a lot and partly because it makes logical sense from a commentary perspective because of the flow of the play. But then when you analyse it in isolation, waiting outside is Henderson, it is a very odd sentence structure. Um, mm. Almost, I don't know, Germanic, isn't it? I don't know, sort of grammar. Yeah, there is there is a lot of that. I mean, you do... Is, is there another way of saying You know, like, it falls to so-and-so. Mm. You, you li- we like to have so you can just go steaming in with big the on the name yeah 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 but nice observation the yoda thing would be the other way around then wouldn't it charlie if it was it falls to so and so it would be no be henderson it falls to yeah <laughs> <laughs> two out of ten effort on the uh, on the yoda oh, that, there. That, that wasn't even that wasn't a, oh there's a hint of yoda you no. felt like you felt obliged <laughs> to do it Oh, it's a slippery slope, I'm telling you. Anyway, fascination number three from our listeners comes from Sam Wilson, the pettiest of all, I think. One of the things I love about football is after a win, going onto the opposition team's fan forum and reading the match day threat from start to finish. It always starts full of optimism, but gradually gets more and more toxic with someone almost always threatening to hand in their season ticket. <laughs> what I really admire here, Charlie, to an extent, is, is going out of your way to revel in the opposition fans' misery by logging on to their forum. I mean, that that is going out of your way to an extent, isn't it? Even in a digital sense. This is a growing trend. I've heard people, from people anecdotally, that they'll listen to podcasts, team podcasts, if, if say, they've lost the derby or whatever. Wow. Uh, sorry, sorry, if their team's won the derby and they're reveling in it, once they've listened to their own uh, team podcast, they'll then listen to the opponents to hear them saying, oh, like, I can't believe we lost. Like, da, 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 mm. da. Does that I mean, prolong just... the glory of it? Anybody? <laughs> I think so. I think it's because Schadenfreude is such a big part of football. No it underpins so much of it. So I, I think this is just a natural extension of that. Um, 100%. And it's the, it's the modern uh, extension of that. Like, yeah, I can remember doing the. Actually, no. I don't know if I can. I, I, what I can remember being on forums. I don't. I would never. I don't think I ever went on an opposition team's forum. But I can remember being on forums in the mid noughties or whatever. But I, now, for me, it's. Um, I, I often see Twitter spaces. Like there's a prominent Watford Twitter space after every game. Mm. And I will. If we have a bad game, you will see a couple of Luton fans who just pop mm. up. You can see. You can see <laughs> oh, them in there. Yeah. Well, whoever they were playing that day, they still pop in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, because yeah, you I guess it's the whole you. thing of like yeah, salt. Salty tears, yeah. cry your salty tears, and all like on Twitter, it's such a big part of it, isn't it? Like reveling in your team's misfortune, in your rival's misfortune, is as big a thing as you know celebrating your own team. I, I particularly like is the fact that Sam Wilson starts at the top where the optimism is, like all just that, neutral that, observations, <laughs> just fresh opinions, and then it all disintegrates from there. I can imagine that is quite a nice read, a gentle sort of plummeting of morale. I mean, it is funny because on like after Spurs games, I'll do like the Q and A's with with fans, and it, obviously every game, I'm sure this is true of all teams Q and A's. You know, it starts with, you know, who who should we play today? And I'm feeling quite confident for this one, you know. And then team news, and it, and it is exactly as he describes. Like if if uh, if Sam, yeah, if Sam ever tires of the fans forum. Go on the Q and A's because you'll you'll experience a very similar phenomenon. David, I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying I'm above this behaviour, but I, I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a flip side kind of guy on this. When my team loses, and I'm a, I'm a terrible loser, I feel, I feel it in my gut, despite not being consumed by it on a daily basis. I, if my team loses, I find it a sick feeling. And the only way I can find to relieve that is to go to, to, to any sort of fans forum for my own club and sort of just bathe myself in logic, sort of level-headed logic of people saying, well, you know, you know, 
we've got so-and-so next week, we'll just move on and everything will be fine. And we were unlucky today, just sort of trying to sort of massage it by saying, oh, yeah, OK, you've got a point there. And, and then I just want to get to that point by Sunday night where I feel OK with it. And, uh, and I think that's quite an important way of doing it. The fabled WhatsApp group chat is very much the place where that sort of thing happens nowadays. Like, are there still forums? Are they still are they still thriving? Are there just a few hardy souls still keeping them alive? Yeah. I don't know. I think they're Reddit threads, aren't there, that do a similar thing that are quite popular, which I guess would be a bit of a goldmine because they're just posting constant links to, like, footage that surfaced of, like, oh, if you actually look closely, you can see the goalkeeper at the exact moment. Mm. the goalkeeper realizes he can't get there or whatever in yeah. super slow motion but I mean, I mean you can get that reassurance from anywhere charlie it isn't just about oh we were unlucky or we go again next week a lot of it is just you know they were a lot better than us today there's not much we can do about it and that and that does the job as well that's that's fine like you can make peace with it i see a lot of this on twitter increasingly over the last sort of five ten years of essentially coping mechanisms fans of certain teams almost overcompensating for how much they they've they can handle that defeat. Like, a huge mm. defeat against some bitter rivals in a massive game, and they've just said, yeah, they were better, you know, so be it. We, You know, um, yeah. we weren't at the top of our game, and, and that's how football is. And you think, no, no, come on, you feel it harder than that. Or, you do. Or, yeah, or, or they're like, I'm not going to complain about today. You know, we did the right things. We'll win more games than we lose if we keep playing like that. The, the other thing, though, as well, is sometimes uh, you, what, I can, what I'll do is, if I see that other people are sort of losing their shit even more than me... That's quite a good way of make of sort of calming me down. I mean, like, okay, I don't want to be that yes. sort of angry about it. Yeah. So actually, I'm just going to rein it in a little bit. That definitely puts you in perspective. Yeah, because you, you, yeah. you don't want to be that guy. But as long as you can reach sort of emotional neutrality at some point, that's the main mm. thing. Right. Our next fascination of football comes from Nick Hayho. One of my loves of football is the brilliant moment when the crowd chants sign him up or sign her up. Um, the reason being, this only ever happens after something incredible has occurred on the pitch, usually uh, an animal um, invading. Um, and especially it's great when your team is not doing particularly well. Um, and people think, as was the case with Morris City once, that the goose that has invaded the pitch can do a better job than the team at the time. Charlie, pound for pound, would you say this is probably the lightest humour you could find on the terraces these days, there's there's not really a there's not really a victim of the ridicule. There's mm. there's nobody nobody's expense really, and even the person involved might not even be too embarrassed to be the subject of it. I think it's the most wholesome thing that could happen. Yeah, it's both gallows humour because you're sort of gently mocking your own team. But do, you, not do your a... team have to be shit for this to happen? I don't think it's a prerequisite, is it? No, I don't think so because also in the full response, Nick talks about um, player X's child scoring. Yeah, and that's a big one. You know, off you know, in that like, uh, yeah, lap, lap of appreciation or whatever at the end of a season, there'll always yeah. be one kid who is really, really good, <laughs> and, and they'll get it, and it's quite sweet, you know. And you're not you're not taking the piss out of this five year old. No, you're uh, you're just giving him a little boost and gently chiding your own team. Um, just analysing the uh, the three examples that Nick gave in his original correspondence, Dave, animal on the pitch, quite like that. I don't th- I don't think it's the most common sign him up, mm. but it, I mean, also you you know sign it up, you'd have to shout, which is a, a bit weirder. Player X's child scoring against uh, during the postseason celebrations, do like that one. Yeah. Third one he suggested was elderly legends being paraded. Now that's different because they used to play for them, so we just sign him back up again. How does that work? Yeah. Could do with feel- him out there. I suppose it's yeah, that's, that, that, that's the could, could do with him out there, which we talked about. Yeah. Boys boots. Yeah, exactly. That was, it. that was in the 2020 loves of football, wasn't it? Which, yeah, I think that's more, uh, I could do with him out there. There is there is a sort of another genre of this, and that's the kind of more literal, genuine 
requests to sign up players when they're when they're on loan. Yes, the most functional form of this of all. Actually, sign him up. Goodness me! Yeah, yeah, I heard one. I heard one last night in the wild. I was at um, I was at Millwall Burnley last night for some yeah. reason, and uh, the Burnley fans were chanting it to the defender Ian Matson at the end of the game, who was on loan from Chelsea. But the problem is, we used to sing this quite a lot at Watford because we'd often have a lot of, and I'm, and I'm not talking sort of current era loans. With all that, I mean, like 15, 20 years ago, when we'd get like the odd player here and there for three months from Spurs or Arsenal, or whatever. You felt like it was more of an audition sort of thing, and it was yeah. maybe they could let's keep them. Whereas now the transfers, it's, it's hard. There's either an obligation to buy, or it, or, it, or it's obviously a <laughs> development thing. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work as well, does it? Take up your option to sign him. <laughs> there's also the um, the sign him up when the players come to the end of their contract. And you mentioned Dennis oh. Burkamp earlier, and he I remember when he was coming to the end of his contract, and, and Wenger at that time would only do year extension for yeah. over 30 players. Famously. I remember there being a, a whole thing, uh, mm. sign him up and one more year and that kind of thing. I, I, I'm delighted, actually, that we got to the original function of this, because that is definitely the origin of it. That's why it was originally chanted. Now it took on this ironic thing. But there's one that's been missing. And I, 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 I hesitate to talk about this on this podcast. I don't like talking about it, but it is the scenario in which a fan heads the ball back onto the pitch, which I have done twice and received a chance of signing him up both times. You've done it twice. Um, is, the second, I'm sure you mentioned this before, but that is amazing. I have. But the second time, signing him up didn't work because I was at USA versus Columbia at Craven Cottage. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, you know, I haven't got allegiance to that. I, I, I don't have any grandparents from Colombia. Yeah, I, I guess it's that, isn't it? Just scour your family tree. Come on. Go on ancestry.com and find out if yeah. he's Colombian. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, great times. And thank you to Nick Hayho. What a valuable discussion that was. Um, our next fascination comes from Anya Green. My fascination of football is when a player replies to or laughs at a joke that someone in the stands makes. It's usually when they're standing around waiting to take a throw in. And ideally, the higher level of the player or the game, the better. I'm glad that Anya's clarified the scenario here, Dave, um, specifically a player waiting to take a throw in. Because, I mean, you, it, this throws up all sorts of possibilities of sort of abuse being thrown out the stands and the players having to kind of shout back. And we don't want any of that on this podcast. But there is that moment... I'm picturing Anfield in particular because of the proximity of of those sort of front rows to the pitch, where a fan will hand the ball back to a player, and you, no matter what the game, doesn't matter if it's your player, any player, who doesn't matter who it is, you you're willing that player to thank that fan visibly, not just take the ball and you want you want at least a nod of appreciation. That's the transaction I want to see. Yeah, and I think most players would do that nowadays to be honest I think like some of the other the other I don't know for a throw in maybe it's more of a routine sort of interaction depending on this depending on the, the moment in the game it might be panicked situation quick give me the ball give me the ball sort of thing but like there's often those little moments where like again like a ground like Anfield or something a player will fall over the hoarding yes. and there's a bit of like back slapping and there's a sorry I hope I didn't hurt you or anything it's all that I, I do like that scenario Charlie, when a player falls into the crowd, because you can you can just see the tangible thirst, no matter what allegiance, for civilians to touch a professional footballer, mm. like actually <laughs> make physical contact with them, and it probably is a thrill. Fair play. Yeah, and and I think and they're quite helpful generally in that moment as well. Yeah. The other one, there's the give us a wave, which is again that's not such a modern football thing, but that would be a thing where fans will spend a lot of the game 
saying to their own player or something, give us a wave. And mm. then if he did, it was uh, be met with rapturous applause. It's um, it's similar to, um, I think we've spoken this on the podcast before, Dave, about, you know, we enjoy the inherent drama of a Premier League game and, you know, and, and spite and venom and all that sort of stuff between sets of players. But when there are occasional sort of low-key demonstrations of goodwill and a sort of players laughing with the ref for example like just having a little laugh it does warm my heart I actually quite mm. like it it's a nice little relief from that mm. sort of thing so in the scenario that Anya paints when a when a opposition player will sort of turn around to the fans and just have a little nod and have a little laugh I like it it's good we should mm. have that because it is all I don't want to go too deep with this but it, it's a nice sprinkling nice seasoning of goodwill and, and she's absolutely right in terms of the level of the player because it you know, you can totally imagine any sort of average League Two fullback having a bit of banter with the crowd or whatever. That's that sort of par for the course, I suppose. But yeah. you know, if Messi were to do it, yeah. you know, at like a game mm-hmm. he's playing at Stamford Bridge or something, and Messi has a bit, it's like it's it's almost it's like yeah, that would be a, for those few people involved. That would be like a proper thing they tell their grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically on this point, last Charlie, um, I'm glad that Anya suggested it should be throw-ins because corners corners you only get you abuse for some reason throw-ins you might get away with it but for a, for a corner <laughs> you just get hails of absolute dogs abuse for having the temerity i should say for taking a corner in front well of you're it. more awful. you're more of a th- you're more of a threat aren't you from a corner i think there's something all right i see sort of workmanlike about a throw-in preempting people... the fact they might score yeah you yeah exactly you, you are no one's on edge for a throw-in, are they? Yeah, yeah. Um, unless, you know, it's a long one or whatever. But it's Rory Delap, yeah. You can flip the scenario around, actually, Dave. Um, when, a, when a player's taking a corner in front of their own fans, and then you'd always see someone going, come on, come on! <laughs> you can't really motivate someone to take a corner, can you? It's like, I know. You, can't, you can't get them going, can you? Yeah. <laughs> corner, mate. Like, I don't know, there's nothing else to say. You can't really say, take a good corner, mate. Be I- the first man. <laughs> Hello there, my name's Taylor Payne, host of The Athletic's dedicated Newcastle United podcast, Pon on the Tyne. It's a rather big week for the Magpies with an actual cup final this Sunday and a chance to end our 68-year wait for silverware. Yes, 68 whole years. Join myself, George Coggan, Chris Roth and Jacob Whitehead as we build up to that showdown at Wembley. And there'll be an extra special show next week, bringing you all the sounds, sights, emotions and smells from what we hope will be a weekend we'll never forget. Just search for Pod on the Tyne on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Welcome back to Mesut Hollandix with you, the listeners, for February. It's time for the Irritations of football and this one comes from Tim. My football irritations, the clumsy sounding user's handball as a verb. We already have the perfectly good verb handle, so I'd like commentators to please stop saying that a player handballed the ball. It's awkward sounding and wrong. Never really thought about this, Charlie, to be honest. I mean, is it one of those that will be clunky anywhere else in life, but in football we're kind of happy with it because that's just that's just what we do. Handballed th- it. Well, if, if you, I think it's I think it's all right to say someone handballed it. I mean, obviously if you said handballed the ball, that sounds weird. But you wouldn't. You'd say, I think they handballed it. I think that's acceptable football speak. I mean, I remember when I started hearing handled it and finding that quite weird because obviously you're used to, you're not used to the literal, you know, it's like, oh, don't worry, I'll handle it. Yeah. You're not used to it in this literal sense. I found that quite odd and archaic. Is it quite misleading as well? Because it implies that they've sort of caught it and are now fondling it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It gives a different impression. Nick Pope handled the ball outside the area the other day. You know, he got, he, he, he got his hands on the it. ball and he pushed it. Yeah. Mm. Whereas most handballs are just hitting the hitting the hand. It's you know, it's ball to hand situation or hand to ball. I think it, it is misleading to say to say that you know who was it in the Champions League final that did it for Spurs against Liverpool? Sissoko. Yeah, he didn't handle the ball, mm. did he? There, it just hit his arm. Like that's that's a more common scenario. It got me thinking of some other potential or potentially problematic footballing verbs, Charlie. What about, how do you feel about penenkered? Yeah, I think we've talked about it before. I don't mind that. I think I think that's just how language evolves. And I, I mean, it's tricky to spell. It's like, a, it's an, it's like an honorary verb, isn't it? It's, there's, a, there's an element of distance about it. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's You're okay. just applying it. Okay, fine. On the subject of handball, though, Dave, I noticed this the weekend, and it was the first time I'd really thought about it. The, the kind of universal hand gesture, the universal body language for I think a handball has been committed. And, you know, even Anglophone players sort of t- talking to an English referee will do this, where they sort of slap their wrist like this, which is such a... 
how did that become the dominant form of like it's not you're not even touching your own hand because that'll look like clapping I presume you should go to the referee <laughs> yeah. clapping great decision well done <laughs> that yeah. specific not even the outside of the arm it's like slapping your wrist the veins of your wrist it's a very strange gesture if you think about it but I think as we've as we've just worked out in that 10 seconds is probably the most efficient way of doing it because you, as you say you can't clap what would you do what point to your point to your hand with the other with your with your finger of the other hand that, that would work. yeah yeah pointing at your own yeah that could work I, it's the it's the weird sort of sort of uh, I don't know feverish slapping of the wrist I find very hmm. strange but um, that's that's by the by thanks Tim the, the next irritation of football comes from Alex Christian stop photoshopping footballers into the shirts of their teams they're linked with before they're unveiled like, it's got to be a shock when you see them for the first time in that shirt whether it's Sol Campbell whether it's Fernando Torres Paul Ince in that leaked photo shoot you're ruining the magic the photoshops have got too good it's just a creeping problem isn't it Dave yes a, a lot of digital handiwork and time and hours are going into this phenomenon and do you think it's just part of the kind of transfer kind of frenzies like fans need to see the image to, to get that kind of hit yeah and I think it's in general there are much many many more people adept at photoshop these days than there than there probably were yeah 20 20 30 years ago or whatever that is, that's um, a very good point but um, <laughs> more before Photoshop, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> but like Microsoft Paint, putting it in a big block. <laughs> it does spoil it. Uh, for me, it spoils it a bit. Uh, yeah, I just think it. I just think just wait, wait for the real thing. Yes, this, I mean this is the core point of what Alex is saying here, Charlie. Is the instant gratification side of it all? Do, fans mm. aren't satisfied. You know, if a rumor's not really a rumor until you've seen a Photoshop picture of the player in that shirt. My issue now, and you were talking about chat GPT earlier and the advances of AI. Photoshop's got good now and the photoshoppers I, have got good. It's got to the point now where I don't know. Has I, the player been revealed? Is that now him wearing the shirt? Is it happened? That should I was be just the gonna, case. I was just going to say the same thing. They're really convincing, a lot of them. like They don't even look... They're not signposted as like a hypothetical. They're just really good. I mean, I do just thinking back to Sam Wilson's thing though about you know reveling in opponents' misfortune. There's now the sub thing here because then when the transfer doesn't go through, there's then all the rivals showing all. But look, all your fans were photoshopping pictures of him (laughs) and he didn't come. Like (laughs) great voice of a ridiculing opposition fan, by the way. It does it does add another layer Mm. to that to the salty tears sort of. There are subsection. Um, there are uh, subgenres of this, Dave. Um, you see, if there are rumours of a player moving from one club to the other, they'll, they'll do an image of of the players of the shirt of the club they currently play for, sort of crumbling off or ripping off, <laughs> and revealing the new club shirt <laughs> underneath. It's just too much. It's like Marvel shit. Fuck off. Well, like, like sh- a snake shedding its yeah. skin. Oh, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit. Um, yeah, it's a bit Clark Kent turning yeah. into, into Superman. Yeah, but I've also seen like a half and half, half yeah. and half shirt sort of depiction sort of thing it as well. Work. Would that kind be implies they play for both? Yeah. Don't like or could that mean they're deciding between two clubs? So not even their current club. Yeah. If there's a transfer sort of tussle going. Oh, on I see. That. Yeah, mm. that that would be that would be that would be ludicrous. Mm. Um, or you could. I mean, should it be split down the middle? Should you do top half and bottom half of the shirt? That wouldn't work, would it? No, no, can't have top half and bottom half. Because the bottom half would just be a just be <laughs> a colour. Yeah, yeah. Keep your options open. That's fine. Um, Alex Christian, <laughs> Alex Christian, bang on. Right. Next one comes from Harry Adams. How many eleven-a-side pitches are built right next to somewhere where it's impossible to retrieve a wayward ball? 
Industrial estate, motorway, an inexplicable patch of land that's fenced off on both sides, 45 quid down the drain every time. Dave, this must be a, a weekly frustration for you. Not a weekly frustration because most of our Sunday League games are on are in parks like Clapham Common or other parts Spanner of South Park. London where you can easily get the ball back. But we did play a game recently, an away game, at a, a sports club, like a proper club. It was in Dulwich, very nice sort of the best away game of the season really nice pitch it's on three sides one side's a railway arches which is like really difficult to get over there's a couple of fences if you hit it too high up you're, you're <laughs> fucked on one end behind one goal there's a row of houses which we we lost one we were the away team we'd had to we'd already lost two of the home team's balls so we had to supply a ball and we'd lost it by their player kicking it into the back garden of some person's house which we were obviously never going to try and work out which house it was and go back round the front and on the other side was a tennis court and in the warm-up one of the women playing tennis got shirty with us because we kept hitting it over just smashing shots over the bar and she said if it goes over one more time I'm not giving it to you back <laughs> <laughs> like a warning in tennis like one more time that's it <laughs> Code violation. Yeah, absolutely. It does undermine the entire day, doesn't it, Charlie? It undermines the warm-up. It undermines the Mm. game. And uh, it's annoying in a warm-up to have to rein yourself in and not kick it too high, isn't it? You want to give it full full pelt. Yeah, I mean, as a... It's very much a Hackney Marshes ultra mm. where there are just pictures as far as the eye can see. Yeah. I think I would find this really annoying. I mean, I have played... There's like the Westway pitches, aren't there? Yeah. Um, that are a bit... You, you can lose balls. But yeah, I mean, I feel like there must be sort of a town planning... There must be reasons for this. It's not just, you know, that sort of... I don't know where the space is. It's great to see like when when local authorities, Dave, have spotted that this is an ongoing issue and, and sort of heighten the fence with extensions... So the fence goes ridiculously high. That makes yeah. me feel safe. That makes it, everyone wins there, right? Fund it yourselves yeah. if you have to. Yeah, that's good. But I mean, yeah. obviously, this sort of the logical extension of this is, um, you know, the kind of lost footballs phenomenon. And it, it truly is amazing how many places you'll just say, oh, just, how, the, how the fuck did that football get there? When you're just it's on a train thing about or something. a long bus journey, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, or on a bus, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Always Champions League ones, I feel like the, the sort of the cheap versions of the Champions League balls. I'm convinced of that. It also reminds me, Charlie, of park football as a kid, sort of kickabouts. If the ball went over a fence, either to somewhere where you're not supposed to go and get it, like a, a public safety video, or some, or even worse, a stranger's garden. And it says a lot about me Ooh. that one. I refused to physically endanger myself to climb over a massive fence to go and get it. Never did it. Always found a way out of it. And two, way too much of a coward to go and knock on someone's door to get the ball back. So physically and emotionally, I am a coward. Not, I, I am. I am pathetic. Yeah, I, 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 th- those were those were high level. I remember playing by a road often, and the ball would go in. I remember once a friend of mine smacking the ball so hard it hit a moving car's wing mirror. Oh. And him having and hit the guy, and we were expecting obviously like an absolute bollocking, mm. and he was actually like really nice and understanding about it. But that was like a sort of constant threat that you'd have to lose it in the ball, and then it would go in the road, and you'd see you'd be like, ah, oh, please, cars, avoid it. You know, not to be worried about an accident. Just <laughs> really don't want to damage our ball. I had a neighbour once cross the street for me when I was a kid. We'd play football out in the road, and it was the classic. It was the classic scenario. But this this neighbour had like a back garden that was sort of at the front. 
weird, one of those weird situations. And it was like a row of terraced houses, but it was just that one house on the corner where its garden was in a different position, so the ball would go over. And he used to get really annoyed. And, you know, you'd, re- you'd be really, really, like, scared of knocking on the door. You'd peer over, could we somehow reach it? Oh, I don't know, we, just, we don't want to risk it. And one time, like, the, the nadir of the whole thing, he got so annoyed with us, keep kicking these balls over, he stuck a knife into it and chucked it back oh, over. Oh, that's classic. That is classic. They would do that on, like, a... They would do that on a on Corrie or something. They or would Grange that. Hill or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Grange Hill, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Biker that, Grove. Yeah, disgruntled neighbour. That is, that is classic. Absolutely right. Uh, but, yeah, it's... it's um. It's an ongoing scourge. I don't know how... But, yeah, well done to anybody. And lucky people who play on the Clapham Commons and Hackney Marshes of this world where this isn't so much of an issue. But then, of course, another can of worms kicking the ball onto another game's pitch. Now, let's not go into that. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, fraught with danger. Right, our penultimate irritation of football comes from Jake Payne. It really bugs me when players come out to warm up during the game and it's always the opposition players in front of the home fans. And instead of warming up in that little strip next to the pitch, they feel the need to just, just edge onto the pitch and do a little sprint about a yard, half a yard onto the pitch. Like, you've got your designated area. Why step onto the pitch? You're clearly just doing it to antagonise the fans and it really bugs me. Completely agree with this, Charlie. Um, it, it doesn't annoy me in a kind of they're trying to affect the game or rile the fans kind of way. It just affects me on a kind of anxiety level. Get off the pitch! Get off the pitch! You're not supposed to be there. What if the game gets stopped? That sort of thing. Job done from yeah. their point of view. If in a sort of wind up, yeah, I've never really noticed that. I have to say, mm. um, I have. Happens. I T- have. The tighter the stadium, the more logically likely it is to happen, right, Dave? And it's the perfect description as well. When they're doing their little, short little shuttle runs, it's a little little sprints, and they just arc just arc onto the pitch but i'm i'm all for this um, this doesn't annoy me at all right. so I, I think i think this is a, just a natural human impulse if you are next to a pitch that you've been told that you're mm. not supposed to go on or you're not you know you're not allowed to be on like i've been at empty stadiums a few times like setting up before games and that sort of thing you, yeah you, you wouldn't ever go on the pitch, but you might. I just put my toe on the pitch. Oh, I was. I'm on the pitch, like touching on the pitch. a footballer at a throw. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, and that even is like, spot on. There is something so <laughs> forbidden about when it. you're like walking. Say again on Clapham Common or whatever, Hackney Marshes, wherever. Your your game might finish early. I know where you're going. And, and, and there are other other t- games still going on, but the ball's down the other end, and you've got to walk. Yes! It'd be easier to walk over yeah. the pitch, it but you can't wrong. walk through the middle. You can't walk through the middle of the pitch while the game's going on. But you can cut the corner. Oh, <laughs> cutting the corner! That is just the right amount of wrong. I, I'm on board with this. It, yeah. it, and you're worried that the goalkeeper might know it's intended to get off, but but if that ball gets hoofed down the other side of the pitch, suddenly, oh, you feel you feel dirty. Don't you shouldn't be there. <laughs> Or if you're playing one and you're going to get the ball back, it's gone off for a throw and it's gone onto the the pitch next to you. And again, you have to wait for the moment the ball's at the other end. You're like, yep, I've got enough time. And you leg it on, you get it. It's like you've pulled off this sort of bank heist. (laughs) It is is so satisfying. I'm applauded. I'm applauded. (laughs) Sorry, I'm applauded. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad we got around to talking about cutting the corners on a pitch that you're not playing on in Sunday League. Thank you. Thank you, Jake Payne. Our final irritation of football. This blew my mind. David Batchelor, take it away. My minor irritation of football is when a commentator, or more likely a manager, describes a match as lasting for 90 minutes plus the number of minutes of second half stoppage time. For example, we kept going for 95 minutes, but will inevitably ignore the stoppage time added at the end of the first half. (laughs) Charlie, have have you ever thought about this in your life? 
Bet you have. I, I've thought about a slightly different thing, which is the convention that says, you know when you say uh, uh, he hasn't scored for 479 minutes right. or whatever, or a yeah. goalkeeper hasn't conceded a goal. That obviously doesn't include mm. stoppage time. Yeah. Which is a slightly weird thing because, especially nowadays with more stoppage time being added, that is actually that can be quite a chunk of time that's not included. But obviously, then you're going down a massive rabbit hole of having to check every game's yeah. uh, stoppage time and that sort of thing. So I've thought about it in that way. I mean, it, that is true. What's raised there? I mean, I, do they often? Because I think often man, I've heard a creeping thing where managers say, in a more general way, we have to keep going for the full ninety-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever, in just a nod to the fact that it's a little bit hundred and ten percent, isn't it? It's just like that yeah. little bit more. Yeah, okay. Yeah, which I don't know so specific, but I'm, I I trust that David's right here that there are some managers specifically using uh, the time added in the second half, but not the first. I would go as far to say, Dave, that not a single manager in the history of football has ever factored in first half injury time into a precise amount of total time that their players had to put in effort. No. And it's like you've surely you've never ever seen you know there's never been a manager on the on the touchline pointing at his watch and the in the for one minute of added time at the end of the first half. <laughs> Fergie, really Fergie point. getting really annoyed that he's only especially played one minute. Especially he's always told that's that's like the worst time to concede a goal is yeah. right on the stroke of half time. So you think there would be more aggro? Yeah, you never hear any howls of derision at like, I don't know four minutes being given unless a, and and you always get that sort of ooh if there's been like a head injury or something and there is ten at the end of the first half then. You you would get that curious ooh, but that's about it. Yeah, first halves not considered important. How interesting and what a way! But I guess, but I guess we just accept that. And you know, when you talk about a ninety-fourth minute winner, you're not talking. You're only including the second half stoppage time. Like it's sort of a separate entity. Like the first half is a forty-five minute thing. Yeah, well, exactly. They don't. They they restart the clock. They don't. They don't. Yeah. start the second it, half at forty-seven it, minutes. It? That's just it, yeah. isn't it? I, yeah, <laughs> Dave. Dave has blown this all apart again. At the end. <laughs> yes, whether we look really whether, stupid now, don't we? Yeah, whether it take however long it takes, that's mm. it is just forty-five minutes. Mm. Okay, I'm rowing back on this. Bachelor, you are deluded. Don't know what you're talking about. Could you, in theory, have a goal scored in one goal scored in the 46th minute at the end of the first half and then another goal scored in the 46th minute after the half time break? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There is an inconsistency. I think he is onto something. So it's, a, it's a glitch, but I think that's why you don't because. You, and you'd never you say never, 46th, would you? Yeah, you'd never talk about the 47th, 48th because that, that is to come. Hmm. The actual 47th, 48th minute is to come. Maybe. maybe they're like, it's still the 45th minute. They're like leap years know. or something. They sort of don't really exist. If you get born on the 29th of February or whatever. What do you do? It happened, yeah. but it Which didn't coming happen. coming up, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, is, it is a bit like leap years, isn't it? Yeah, in a way. Maybe we need to do it like the Continentals, get it back to zero at the start of the second half so that people peering through pub windows haven't got a fucking clue which half it is. Squinting <laughs> to see that 2T that you used to get yeah. on Sky Sports' La Liga coverage. <laughs> Segundo Tiempo. Love it. Love it. <laughs> well, that concludes our Segundo Tiempo. Um, thanks, David Batchelor. Let's maybe rethink uh, the entire time space continuum of football and um, thanks for everyone who, who got in touch for Mez at Holland Dicks in February uh, we'll be back with this one next month cheers to you David Walker thank you cheers to you Charlie Eccleshare thank you and we'll be back on Tuesday see you later The Athletic <laughs>